right. Welcome to the Royale Political Wire. This is Stephen Smith. I'm going to wave here. I'm not going to put the camera on me. Uh, I'm here joined by Darian Woodfall and our regular host, Michael Allen. We are here on early December 2018, a very important time for our fair city. Right. Be here if you're not seeing Steve tonight. He looks very good, I must say. He's dapper and in his winter clothes. So I'm down to my fighting weight, gentlemen. We're, we're on. Right. Yeah. We're on a winter day. It snowed a little bit in the middle of the day. Yeah. A flurry of precipitation following the last week, where there's a flurry of candidates filing for municipal offices. In the spring election, I don't think it's too early to talk about that. I will hold off on speculation in the Democratic primary in 2020 for the U.S. presidency. For now, maybe we'll wait a couple episodes to dip our toes in that water. But municipal offices, we've got some open seats. Ossel, presidency of the Board of Aldermen is up, and even-numbered wards in the midst of all of this, we have a series of retirements, political retirements oh, yeah. at least, maybe yeah. not forever. We have Terry Kennedy, who has taken the job of clerk for the Board of Aldermen, leaving not only the 18th Ward seat open that he's held for a long time. Very uh, long. How uh, many years? 30 years, I think, yeah, yeah. almost 30 years. And yeah. then that his father had held before that. Man. Um, Terry's going to be serving as clerk. He also leaves absent the chair of the Black Caucus of the Board of Aldermen. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Williamson has decided not to run for re-election very quietly. Wow. Although his colleagues toasted him in fanfare at the last board meeting, passing a resolution honoring an wow. often very quiet member of the Board of Aldermen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't hear his name a lot. but No, and he yeah. usually weighs in very judiciously. Mm-hmm. And in good temperament, I would have to say, he has uh, avoided a lot of the mudslinging and drama of that board, which is very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, while still, I think, uh, earning the accolades of his constituents and rarely facing a, a, a challenger that had any uh, metal yeah. or money. <laughs> yeah. And then we, the we have an early political departure of our young friend, he might even be younger than us. I don't yeah. know. Maybe a little older. Scott Ogilvie in the 24th Ward mm-hmm. came on the board as an independent, ran for re-election as a Democrat, mm-hmm. is now leaving the board Yeah. after t- eight years and making, I think, quite an impact on the tenor of discussion, the level of detail and policy mm-hmm. that aldermen are following. He's a frequent uh, commenter in public media ranging from national publications like next city to podcasts like this one Mm -hmm. scott has also i think raised the visibility of the board of aldermen to the public to a young generation of millennials for sure um has been the face i think early face of progressive challenging of incumbents or challenging of the status quo Mm -hmm. leaving er, what we think is a little premature modest declaration on his way out the door 
Uh, he's known to tell people he doesn't want to raise money, so that's why he's not running for president of the board or mayor or any higher office, but his name is on the lips of many when they name their ideal candidates Definitely. for those same offices. And a so lot of folks are asking him. Where is he headed next? Just back home to a quiet next part of his life? Let's see. Or something else in play? Good old St. Louis, you never know what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Indeed. I would have figured by now, and I think, you know, Scott is great on the board of aldermen. He probably, he would have easily won another term. Oh, but yeah. I would have thought by now that Mayor Krusen would have given this person who, you know, Scott was an early endorser, a very loyal ally of the mayor, mm -hmm. some sort of appointed post where he could start making changes from the inside, especially if he doesn't want to raise money to run for another seat. Appoint him to something where he can really make some some change. He's got a pension for detail that, you know, people in city government on the administrative side often actually lack. Yeah, Scott is sense. Scott is often seemed like he'd be good on the inside, maybe better even in yeah. some ways. Uh, now I've heard we've gotten we've recently added the office of chief innovation officer and chief technology officer to the mayor's office. Is that right? It seems so. I believe okay. so. That Patrick's. Yeah. See? Yeah. Okay. Patrick is chief innovation officer. Yeah, I think that's now being paid out of the mayoral uh, budget instead of the grant, I believe. Right. The Rockefeller 100 Resilient Cities grant ran out after mm -hmm. two years. I mean, it was always a limited duration. Mm -hmm. The goal was to produce a resilience plan, which we now have in place. Mm -hmm. um, chief technology officer was a role that uh, Harmon had put into place in the 90s. Slay had one early in his administration, but kind of mm -hmm. left it vacant. I think. Uh, one of the early office holders, the first chief information officer or technology officer was uh, Chris Dornfeld, oh, a yeah. metropolista from back in the day, back in the day, which is now two decades ago. Yeah, before Internet hit the city hall. Right. Wow. Yeah. Back when some of the aldermen were still using typewriters to correspond with their constituents. Uh, that didn't stop until that long ago, I would say. Actually, yeah. I think it stopped with Freeman Bosley Sr.'s retirement. I thought Kenny used to do that, didn't oh, he? Oh, Ken Hortman. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, yes. Well, no shade, because hey, with the inundation still work. Yeah. we're right. getting from social media, maybe... We've got one right These back guys there. had the right idea not, not <laughs> yeah, to adopt. Classic. <laughs> that's, that's the Royale computer back there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think maybe jumping right into it. Let's we, do it. We yeah. have a uh, top of the ticket race that has some people are already saying hashtag Alder Geddon. I think that's a little overblown. I wow. Mean, so far, it seems like the top level contest has three filers that we all expected to file. Yep. Incumbent President, President Lewis Reed, yeah. Alderwoman Megan Green of the 15th Ward, who's made no secret for a while, her ambition, and then State Senator Jamila Nasheed. Nobody else has filed, although we're a long way from the deadline, and with uh, yeah. three candidates running whose similarities definitely overlap, Yeah, it could be an interesting moment for someone whose similarities are scant with these three candidates. Yeah, Say someone running to the right, or maybe the old Southwest City side of town might mm. seem like a good picking if there the vote is going to be so divided. And it does bring back last uh, term's uh, mayoral race, mm. where you know it's like you have these pocketed voting blocks, and it could be anybody's board depending yeah. on how it blows. Although I will say. 
early on, it seems like Lewis Reed's race to lose. And I I say this in all full disclosure. I've given contributions to Megan Green. I admire Megan very much. Um, Same. But I do think Reed's name recognition and his ability to hold that office so long cannot be underestimated. So, Darian, what do you think is brewing out there in this race? I think, yeah, I think you're kind of looking at a split in the vote with progressives, right? And and even just across the Democratic Party, because, like, you have Lewis Reed, the president of the Board of Aldermen, who's been a Republican and been in that office for, like, a decade or so now. Yeah, since 2007. Uh, yeah, so, so he has, like you said, the name recognition and probably a lot of relationships that he can use to get things done. But then you have Megan Green, who's sort of like the new blood... Uh, when it comes to the Board of Aldermen and, and St. Louis politics, um, who has a lot of progressive ideas, um, maybe has like ruffled some feathers already, but still with the constituents probably is, is one of the most popular among the most uh, uh, among the progressive group. But then you also have Jamila Nasheed, who's sort of a wild card, who can get the base Democrats, but can also get some progressives apparently I've heard uh, have been sort of leaning towards her and has as a seasoned politician has learned how to build relationships with people she may or may not have had relationships with before or even have soured relationships and reopened those relationships yeah, I mean, later. I still so. think about her evolving relationship with in, back in the day with Frances Slay. Exactly. Leading the recall effort only to become a very vocal endorser and yeah. supporter of the mayor. Indeed. Uh, and saying, you know, to some extent that's just politics, but in other ways mm-hmm. it was her own you know, evolving ideas about mm-hmm. what a mayor should be doing. And uh, mm-hmm. she said maybe she was brash in the beginning. Yeah. You know, she does have a, a gift for um, <laughs> perhaps uh, being able to do things that, you know, like like evolve on an issue, which I think yeah. in, pol- in politics is rare. Uh, yeah, say I think one of the reasons the Lewis Reed, I, I don't discount, has, has the same gift where if you map out, where he's been on things over the years, it doesn't necessarily give progressives the kind of doctrinaire certainty. Yeah. And he's gotten a lot of flack for that, but it's also apparently appealing to corporate donors, uh, developers, other people. I think he's been relatively conservative. And yeah, like you said, people with money or older voters tend to be a little bit more conservative when it comes to finance. You know, I don't think that... Uh, values wise he's still mostly democrat but when it comes to like economics and and things like in that realm i think he definitely is more of at least a centrist if not leaning to the right a little bit leaning to the right wow yeah Yeah. um it's an interesting race yeah too because it's i think it's going to be a pretty hot race with Mm -hmm. these three um, Lewis has the fundraising advantage so far. Jamil is not shy about raising money and very good at it. Yeah. Um, and Megan, it, at least on the, the filing so far, is pretty modest, but also has the populist effect of the mm-hmm. small donations driving mm-hmm. her campaign. No big money coming her way, which means she's walking the walk 100%, yeah. which... Yeah. You know, again, is is an appealing facet. One thing I like about her a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not getting big checks from corporations and then turning around and railing against them the next day. She's <laughs> yeah. getting money from people <laughs> who want to see change, and she's going to bat for change every day of the week. And um, 
you know, I think it maybe it's a, a race so far between two two competing versions of how to change the status quo, and then yeah, the status quo, like it or not, and some people actually like it. And you know, it's no right. shade to say something's the status quo if it's working, right? Right. In politics, we often just everything today is like everyone runs as an outsider. Everyone wants to upset the apple cart. Everybody wants to be strange. Um, yeah. But when government actually is doing what it should, maybe it's not so bad to run. Yeah. As a status quo candidate, the question is: Is government running things the way That's people want? And I, I don't think the last <laughs> few years of the city has given people assurances that city government is running from TIF and tax abatement issues mm-hmm. um, that have put lured investment to areas that we know are, o- are not overinvested but are stable yeah. and not it's not luring the desired result yeah. of areas that need the jump start to favoring heavy-handed top-down plans like the football stadium and Paul McKee that, that don't deliver any real results. Right. Um, McKee's case actually drives uh, low-income African-Americans from their homes, mm-hmm. yet it has the su- still has the support of many politicians. It seems like the consummate corrupt baseball game, but a lot of people are still wearing the jerseys, right? And yeah. people wonder, why does our government work that way? Mm. And that to the airport privatization, which is being driven by an outside party. It's being pursued with vigor by city government without other alternatives being explored. You know, ideas like should the airport maybe be owned jointly by the city and county or by a collection of counties that benefit from it. None of those things are on the table. We're not independently studying what should be done with the airport. We're independently Mm. studying an idea that one billionaire who's given a lot of money to our current mayor and our past mayor, Francis Lay and Lida Cruz, and favors very heavily uh, without considering any other alternatives. Where is that money uh, being directed to the candidates right now? And where are their positions? We have not seen on the f- early filings, I think, many, many contributions from For the president's groups, race. But the January quarterly filing ought to show us a few clues. We do know that Megan Green is vehemently against airport privatization. She supports a vote of the people. Yeah. Jamila Nasheed in her press release announcing her entry to the race said it's extremely important to her the airport stay public hmm. and that a if anything changes, the, that it goes yeah. we'll to see if she stays that it goes that to message. a vote of, that it goes to a vote of the people. Yeah, and, and President I'm, Reed seems favorable on privatization. I don't mm-hmm. think he said as much as some people want to think he said. Yeah, um, but he's on. He's the only one of these three right now that has the power. If this comes to a vote of the estimate and apportionment board mm-hmm. before March, he he can tilt this one way or the other because Comptroller Green. Seems mm. completely against it. Okay. Mayor Cruson says she's just waiting to see what happens. I'd say that means she's leaning toward this. Yeah. Um, Reed in the middle. He does not necessarily favor a vote of the people. He has not been a champion of Kara Spencer's bill on the Board of Aldermen to make this go to the vote of the people. Yeah. But that doesn't mean he can't support be brought to support that if enough people want that. Yeah. He has said one thing Reed has said, I think, is that the airport privatization study enabling legislation does call for a parallel track of public engagement that should include include a vote of the people and mm. i haven't heard him president reed repudiate that hmm. um it seems like kara's bill would be consistent with that position okay that's easier said here on a microphone on a podcast <laughs> than, than meet it out at the board of aldermen where there's a lot of other factors going into these kinds of things um 
but we'll we'll see. But the all the the airport is likely to be one of the big issues I think going into this race because mm-hmm. the other potential big issue on the soccer stadium has has gone away very yeah. quickly yeah. as a point of contention. Um, you know, it's it's it, it seemed like it was about to be a dust up. Royale, yeah. no, no pun intended, <laughs> like the previous uh, soccer stadium issue. But then Alderwoman Christina Gracia, who railed against the idea of uh, this version of the soccer stadium being publicly owned and not paying land taxes, mm-hmm. ended up supporting the enabling resolution. Mm-hmm. And the only two votes against it came from Sharon Tyus and Megan Green. Interesting. Uh, and you know, you didn't didn't see any of the coterie who went against it last time mm-hmm. go against it this time. Uh, different formula. This time this the ownership group's willing to pay 100% of construction costs. Okay. It's less subsidized then. Mm. Um, but it's still going to be publicly owned and the public's still going to be on the hook down the road and even Ingracia and Ogle, Scott Ogilvy said we should be careful about the next steps and there have to be other bills passed For to sure. actually build this and that we maybe should be gar- more guardian, guarding the public treasury. But nobody wanted to take a vote against the enabling resolution hmm. to, to show a, a strong opposition to that project. It seems like it's learned some lessons from the football stadium yeah. and the soccer stadium Hopefully. the voters voted down uh, to at least minimize, to some extent, the public liability for this endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um so that's not going to be before these candidates in any real way. Okay. Um, President Reed is a big supporter of that stadium. I still think, though, that that's, that sort of drives part of the conversation. And w- what you were explaining earlier made me think of this is sort of a race where two, two candidates could possibly represent that pop, populist idea. And then I think of, and then the other candidate, Lewis Reed, sort of represents the the institutional like uh, political establishment uh but when i think of that i think that probably the people that have the people power on their side are likely to get more votes like more people actually Mm -hmm. wanting to come out and vote even if the weather's bad because they like are excited about their candidate whereas like lewis reed's kind of like this is a weird analogy, but it's sort of the Hillary Clinton of the race where it's like, I'm going to vote for that person because I know that's going to continue what's been Mm -hmm. going on. And they're likely not going to go so radical that I can't deal with what they're going to do in in these races before, since he was elected, he was elected as an, a change agent Mm -hmm. against Jim Shrewsbury in 2007. Mm -hmm. But ever since he's held, it's been over 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, He's held the line as a, as a stalwart, predictable institutionalist and he's done poorly as a mayoral candidate Mm -hmm. in the last race and didn't come very close in the race before that because he was running as a change agent again against the kind of mayor that st louis maybe kind of like sometimes Mm -hmm. francis slay boring as a bowl of oatmeal but the great hot cereal your mom gives you on your way out the door (laughs) in the morning it's solid I love oatmeal, man. <laughs> it's, it used to be my You can add a lot of things to oatmeal, too. It's, it's, a, it's a armature for a very interesting flavor palette if you want to add enough things to it. Yeah, right? so you can flavor it up, you know, <laughs> you go, spice yeah. it up. But when you're running against Jamila <laughs> Nasheed and Megan Green, maybe lower flavor is the way it. to go. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got a, they are the spicy. you got two spicy flavors well, mm-hmm. on the table. Okay. 
Speaking of these uh, candidates, uh, where do you see the support coming from and the different camps as it's evolving? Where is uh, up in the air sort of constituencies right now? How, does anybody really have a lock on certain constituencies? Well, I, mm. I think Megan has more of a lock on the Tower Grove area. For sure. Tower Grove uh, South which, is Megan you know, she One thing she's done that I think is not to be underestimated, it's been quick, it's been... It's been one ward, but she's turned the 15th ward into a high vote turnout machine, mm -hmm. and she's allied sometimes with the 8th ward, which is doing the same. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's just two wards, but you know, St. Louis elections, we're talking about turnouts that could be... Turnout, yeah. The win numbers know, are very small. 28% to 50%. Mm -hmm. Like, so two wards make a huge difference if they have... You know, eighty to one hundred percent turnout. I mean, they're not going to matter. But it's like they have the strongest turnout possible. Mm -hmm. They could drive the race. Yeah, and they and they're going toe to toe now with the the usual predictable high turnout block of the sixteenth, twenty third, and twelfth, mm -hmm. the more conservative blocks. Now those are still in play, and I think right now they're they're read territory. Yeah. but they're not read territory if another candidate jumps in who could appeal to that base. Right, reads. More solid, I think, across the north side where, you know, Nasheed's district is only half the north side. She she mm. might be very, very competitive or win, be favorable to win those wards. Um, but you got that whole low. western side that's in the fourth. The turnout is low yeah. up there, yeah. Reed, Reed has done very well in the last two mayoral elections across these north side wards. Yeah, he, did he appeals pretty, he did to them. Well, yeah. mm -hmm. He appeals to the voters who are turning out who are usually older than the city average, whereas right. the south side voters are a little younger, especially right. Tower River is middle-aged or a little bit below that, which is you know the demographic Megan appeals to. Mm -hmm. uh, Nasheed could dig into the southeast part of the city in wards like the 20th and the 25th, where um, you have low turnout and high uh, minority populations, minority yeah. majority. Especially um, if Bruce Franks is out there for if Bruce comes like out that, yeah. for her. Did strong, Bruce come out? I don't he already he, he already has oh, he has already he? has okay. and, yeah. and um, that could that could help. Yeah and. Um, I think a lot of that also depends on where those committees go in those races. Yeah. Um, Any particular endorsements that have been interesting or have come out yet? I haven't seen very many. I mean, Bruce Frank's posted on early. Facebook. It's not a formal endorsement, but he's going He's going for Nasheed. He's supporting mm -hmm. her. Mm -hmm. But he also calls for no mud to be slung at the other candidates <laughs> because he likes them all and he's <laughs> friends with them all. Come on he, now. This race right. is not going to be clean. We yeah. all know that. Um, it is you know, it's already gotten Tashara dirty. Jones, our treasurer and ally of Megan Green, has posted on Facebook an interesting post that she said, uh, just a question to all of you, uh, something along that line. What if two of your, your friends who you admire run against each other for president of the Board of Aldermen asking for a friend? Um, for a friend. So she hasn't jumped in for, for Megan Green yet. Okay. Um, or Jamila Nasheed. Um, I, think, I think right now, the smart politicians uh, and, and, and prominent figures are going to stay out of this yeah, race. Yeah, it's still early. They're, they're seeing where this is going. They're seeing the tone because mm -hmm. if it gets really negative, a lot of people might be very turned off. You know, yeah. several people stayed out of the mayoral election as a result of that kind Don't of dynamic. Don't guilty by association. Um, other people might be thinking about their own political fortunes. Mm -hmm. Should they leverage anything? Mm -hmm. And some might be waiting to see, is this really the, is it right now we're talking about three people. It, could yeah. be four people, right? Yeah. It could be, you know, uh, and I'm not just talking about Jimmy Matthews or Bill Haas, <laughs> although, come on. I thought I'm they, I thought they had running. a credit card with $300 available at least. I'm surprised Jimmy's not running at least. 
Wait, that's an eight hundred dollar race. So, you know, <laughs> that's right. May have to do a GoFundMe, but um, <laughs> we'll see. But the, you know, I, I think we'll get a few of those. What, what's also interesting? Yeah, there would be probably one. Though more. is like you know, if if somebody else jumps in, mm-hmm. um, how that might shake things out a little bit. Uh, it might make yeah. the race a little less antagonistic, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Right it, now, it's very yeah. It seems like, there's but it might a lot it might energy. also cloud the the competitiveness of some of these uh, these three because if the candidate is a more conservative type, competing in the Southwest City, then they're all going to be against that to some yeah, extent, I was gonna say, right? It so on the ideologically, the where does where does that shake out? Mm-hmm. Uh, then they're all competing for the same twenty five percent that's going to get them, right or twenty six percent, right? Which yeah. which who has the most likely path in the current setup to uh, take it? Where or at least where is the I'm most? Saying, I'm thinking Lewis Reed, right? I, mean, I think Reed right yeah. now on uh, in this very early week two of filing. Um, and when is filing? Uh, but I. Uh, filing was January, mm-hmm. so it's like. But I think you know some people have called Jim, J- the race, saying it's really between Reed and Jamila. Mm. I don't see it that way at all. I think Green has a huge I think she power the turnout, yeah. um, to pull votes. She in. may not get the money. She may not have the endorsement. I, I think it's Central Corridor. Yeah. Some of the no, I think I think I think mm-hmm. right now, like the early race is between the second spot. Like, mm-hmm. who's going to be the one who then can can nip at Reed's heels and get the get the job? Yeah, and I think. Megan and Jamila each have the same chance at that right now, mm-hmm. based on the kind of votes they can pull, and even if fundraising's uneven. Right. You know, Megan has done very well with very little money. Mm-hmm. She has popular appeal. She's got strong name recognition. Yeah. She she has a lot going for her that I think can transcend she won a her huge margin pretty overwhelmingly. Yeah, she survived yeah. three yeah. elections in a row, yeah. <laughs> and done and done very well in those reelections, even against. Um, somebody who th- was supposed to be a contender, mm-hmm. and then somebody who was really supposed to be a contender, the mm-hmm. incumbent who had held that seat and who was very popular, yeah. who didn't even come close to striking distance. So no. um, we will see. Um, it'll also be interesting to see if the mayor jumps into this contest. Oh, yeah, endorsing someone. Oh, that could be very interesting. Yeah. Whether or not that actually influences these, or whether <laughs> right. I, yeah. I want to be endorsed. Well, you wonder, you know, she, yeah, true, true, do, true. do any of these three candidates want her endorsement? <laughs> That's a very good question. Right now, probably not. No offense to Lido, but because Lewis wanted the race, wanted the job, no. and didn't win to her. Um, Jamila and Megan would, as outsiders, would probably be pretty loath to accept that endorsement. Right. Uh, Reed might want to keep that, you know, off the the side because it, uh, any chances of him pulling votes away from these other two candidates are probably contingent on enough appeal to progressives. Yeah, and after this indictment with, of the police officers, the mayor's yeah, we're, we're going to need to jump into that. Currency here. is a little low in progressive. Well, let, I'll tell you what. There, there's two more topics we need to touch. Uh, let's uh, do a quick rundown of the other. Wards oh and my. what's kind of happening. A quick rundown right. because we are running a little bit long here. Cool. But I definitely want to talk about the indictments uh, in the police department and what right. that means. I will everything. say the 10th Ward is um, a, a real nail-biter because we don't know if Steve Smith's going to file or not <laughs> um, against Joe Vollmer. Tavern, tavern keepers toe-to-toe. They might be a drink special primary war. That's right, yes. The, the uh. liquor, if that would happen, the liquor would be flowing. Yes. I would say, though, I know who has Both the better bars. bocce court. Um, <laughs> no offense. Uh, but I also know who is the better continental. Uh, Literally, I have a Lincoln Continental now. So right. I can. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. was right. Yeah. <laughs> 
But um, we have we have action in um, the twentieth ward with Sunny Hutton firing yeah, the run against Kara Spencer. That's a low turnout ward. Full disclosure again, I'm Kara Spencer's campaign committee treasurer. Okay. So, um, but I, you know, I also look out the window if the sun's shining. I say the sun's shining. So I, 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 I won't. You know, I have my side on that race, but I, I think with a low turnout, that's. These low turnout wards can be very volatile. They, yeah. they a lot has to do with very personal appeal. And I'm not saying better yard signs, better fundraisers, even more money. It's like talking to people and persuading oh, them yeah. of your on vision that, of the on future. That level for sure. I mean, yeah. that's probably going to be 700 total votes cast. Yeah, total. Right. Yeah. I think yeah, uh, win numbers in that election are like 360 votes. Or I something think like we that. hope the the turnout's greater. But it wasn't. It was not very good in this presidential or um, this uh, senatorial election. Yeah. So it's like um, the other part of that, though. I think is it's a good thing that uh, the race is in play because mm. we had you know years of one person in there and years of uh, you know people trying to make that a competitive ward. Yeah, Galen Gandolfi and others who were running over there to try to get it to where it is now, where mm. you have. Mm-hmm. You know, some pretty, pretty, uh, you know, it's a progressive's dream, I think, to have a, a primary between someone like Sonny Hutton and Kara yeah, Spencer. Yeah, because either way, you it's win. It may be seeming right. hair-splitting to the outside world. It may be seeming like to embody the progressives devouring their own so type of scenario. But it's also, I think, the the um, St. Louis is not, um, it's not the nation. Like, if this was yeah. a national primary, like the presidential, this might seem like, too close to home, but mm. in these city wards where there's so many different ideas about what progressive means, I, right. I think we're going to see a lot more of this to come. Mm. Um, in I think you know even the eighth Might ward drive some voter, voter the eighth ward's out. not in play yet. No one's filed yeah. against any rice, but I'm kind of surprised no one has, given that that's another race a war where there's a lot of people who have almost the same opinion, but not quite. And, and given I'm, the Democratic Central Committee's response to her yeah. even running, like. You would think that they would got have gotten somebody to uh, run yeah, against her. But she did pretty handily to yeah. win the last oh, yeah. election. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I mean, that wasn't competitive enough to suggest that another try is going to so be. So let's very keep going through the wards right. here. We have uh, the 14th ward where Tony Pekinovsky was known to a lot of us from his labor organizing. He's running against Carol Howard. That's another ward that hasn't had the greatest vote turnouts, mm. and you have an influx of. Uh, you have a lot of the Bosnian voters who are still in that mm-hmm. war who've never really had a candidate that, that I think is of that community who you know might might be favorable toward a progressive challenger. You also have a lot of young hmm. millennials. The the committee woman over there, uh, Madeline Buto, is, is of that uh, that era, that world. Uh, Pekinovsky could have appeal. Um, you have the the twenty sixth ward where it seems like. Um, there are two candidates. At yeah, least the Board so. of Elections website seems wrong, but it it does seem like um, let me pull this up um, that there are two in that race. Um, who's the other candidate? Let's see. Sorry about. I that. know we got Justin Eidelberg, Justin Eidelberg looking like he's in the fourth, in but lives and, um, in the twenty sixth. Uh, uh, Frank Williamson's old ward. Yeah. Mm. Lita Price Land uh, was the first to file there. Um, in Ogilvy's old seat in the 24th, lowering Cavan and Brett Narayan. I know Brett Narayan is an attorney oh, okay. in the insurance world. Yeah, um, did Tom Bauer put in at all? Tom Bauer's not in yet. Nobody, no Waterhouse, nobody from those worlds. The 22nd, 
Uh, Jeffrey Boyd has filed for re-election, of course. But Tanya uh, Finley-McCaw, uh, relative of Rasheena Aldridge, the Fifth Ward mm-hmm. committee man, is in that race. Awesome. Uh, she's out there going crazy on social media, pulling in uh, support, doing events. Okay. That's going to be pretty competitive. <laughs> and that's, again, a very low turnout race where, you know, the threshold could be very scant between yeah. these two. They could be down votes. to a couple hundred mm-hmm. or a couple dozen. Who's running um, in uh, Terry Kennedy's old You ward? have in the 18th ward uh, the committeeman, Jesse Todd, who seems to be the heir apparent mm-hmm. to the Kennedy family. He's been very popular with voters there. The Todd's. Uh, have been a you know big, big part of civic life around, yeah. uh, and 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 not seen as particularly partisan or ideological. Uh, but then you have uh, Jeffrey Hill Jr. or Daruba Shakur, who's well known as an activist. Um, he some a, people he had a great introductory photo I saw. Yes, yeah, no, that was an album yeah. cover. He's he's yeah right. What he's a very photogenic. <laughs> he's known uh, to readers of the Post Dispatch for being shown. Carrying his rifle to protest, mm-hmm. legally open carry. Yep. Uh is also a rehabber. Um, somebody who thinks very differently, I think, about power and how it's distributed in the city. Mm-hmm. Somebody who um, has, um, you know, I think captured uh, a lot of uh, attention and admiration from activists because he's yeah. pretty solid and pretty real deal. I mean, he's a stick-to-it kind of fighter. Mm-hmm. Um and and you know the age differential between him and Jesse Todd Huge. is also part of this race, yeah. right? Old and young, mm-hmm. not old, old, but like the older guard. Older, yeah. Uh, and where I say it as a cusp old guy myself, um, <laughs> Daruba must be what thirty, if maybe 30 maybe thirty. Oldest, yeah, and, and I think Sunny's pretty young too. Sunny, yeah. like she's, yeah. she's she's not thirty like yet. Mid twenties, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mid to late twenties. Is there an age requirement for the board of aldermen? I don't think so. Uh, no, and so um, you could be eighteen, huh? Do you even have to be eighteen? Wait, I, I, there's something in the statutes. The mayor is thirty-five. Well, after, okay. I, I don't know off the top of my head. Well, I think it's a, I think it's any eligible registered voter can run for alderman. Um, in the fourth ward, just to pick it back up, Sam Moore, uh, longtime incumbent. Now he's been in there since two thousand seven, I believe. Uh, is facing Robert Dillard, mm-hmm. artist, yeah. challenger. Um, and in the sixth ward, nobody has filed against Christine Ingracia, okay. but C, <laughs> C Sharp Redmond, a friend of the Royale, um, he's frequently <laughs> in our at our debates. He was at a lot of our mayoral close-ups. Um, activist, rapper, rapper, yeah. artist, visionary of sorts. Mm-hmm. Someone who, you know, is I think out there. Shooting in all directions at a new city. For sure. Got a lot of energy. Uh, he has announced a fundraiser for his bid in the sixth ward. Has not filed. That's an interesting way. Does that ever happen? I guess it's happening. Uh, maybe yeah. have <laughs> your fundraiser, raise the money, pay the filing fee. Couldn't be part of that. But okay. um, part the sixth ward, you know, there's been rumors of different people who might be taking a, a oh, stab yeah. at that seat. Okay. And Gracia, right. her brand of progressive politics has not been... Um, the kind of uh, ideologically doctrinaire or straight ticket kind of approach. Mm-hmm. She's been um, a much more um, kind of individual judgment kind of official, you know, mm-hmm. thinking that she has some strong principles, but then there are other situations where her side may be a little hard to predict. 
Yeah. Um, even the soccer stadium where she supported the previous version, carried the legislation this time, was out there against yeah. you know, a less subsidized version. So it's like you you don't know what's going on. But, I mean, right. she's also very, very good at constituent outreach. So while to some people these positions might seem and she's all the over the place, that I, I think she can explain why. She has suggested participatory budgeting ever in the board of aldermen that I know of. Maybe other board. Uh, she was the first to do it. Yeah. she's the first to do it. Christine and I, was. Yeah, Christine and I was. think that's made her very popular in the yeah. ward. She's also it never happened, but I appreciate that she was even thinking about it. Well known for you know highly visible presence in neighborhood events, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. talks to her constituents, does mm-hmm. the the invisible groundwork mm-hmm. of being an alderman that. You know, can't be dismissed even yeah. even in our progressive era. True. Um, so we'll see. You know, what kind of constituency C Sharp Redmond appeals to versus Christina Gracia. He's uh, relatively new to the ward. Yeah, he's new to the yeah. ward, new to the game. I don't think he has a lot of rec- name recognition in that ward, particularly. Um, We'll see. I mean, it's also the ward that's the home to Michael Butler, mm-hmm. um, who's still committee man yeah. for that ward. Um, where he goes, if, if he supports Ingracia, yeah. we don't know. He's on his way up, climbing the ladder, three-quarter of deeds. Mm-hmm. Some see him as a potential mayoral candidate. Um, he's back closer to city politics out of Jefferson City now, mm-hmm. so he may be more of a force in that war. Yeah. Okay, and who else do we have lined up for this? Because I want to make sure we that get is, to the... That is the extent okay. of contested races. Well, let's talk to the other hot situation, too, which is, of course, the indictments that uh, were reported on by the Post-Dispatch, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, um, last last week? Last week, mm-hmm. yeah. Despite what a lot of people say about the Post, they still do investigative reporting <laughs> and do it very thoroughly. Um, I will throw rocks at them uh, as well. But Every once in a while, you know, <laughs> you got to keep people honest. That's right. Broken clocks twi- open your rocks twice. Will not get exactly. past, your rocks will not get past their paywall these days. <laughs> <laughs> it's I 99 it. cents to throw a rock. That's all right. I'll pay it. At least sign up for the email list, right? The um, but that was a that was a big thing that dropped uh, that it's gone federal and that was something that I believe was asked for by the um, mayor and the police chief if I remember correctly mm. and uh, I'm not sure the prosecuting attorneys uh, if they have tried to do anything here or what their jurisdiction is exactly Michael if you happen to know this is U.S. court so it's mm-hmm. the U.S. District attorney, I guess. Right. Would the would the local prosecuting attorney have any? The, they they may have assisted with investigation. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, it's not clear from this. I think, from my understanding, that this would be uh, truly uh, uh, the fact that they're going after it's significant, and that these uh, that the. It's significant. It's also interesting, though, that very quickly the chief has Hayden has pushed in discourse, you know, discursive sort of. Uh, tactic of saying these are just bad officers that mm. really cut against the good officers that are the super majority of his staff mm-hmm. um sort of you know implying there is no pervasive problem in police culture that this doesn't mm-hmm. represent anything beyond four you know very problematic people False. who happen to get positions in the police department mm-hmm. um but if you look at the span of their service um, you know, you you have some rookies, very relatively new, but then you have mm-hmm. some people who've been on the force for multiple years involved in this mm. indictment. So it's not like four hotshots 
who came straight from a tour of duty in Afghanistan joined the police department right. go into this hot-headed, you know. It's, it, yeah. These are people who have been out there patrolling neighborhoods where people look a lot like the protesters, look a lot like, um, you know, Anthony Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are attitudes that are not just like, protest is is unlawful but you know we're, we're seeing we want to whoop some ass right. we're seeing the n-word dropped in these mm-hmm. things we're saying they say oh we i love patrolling with a black officer because mm-hmm. he's like a thug that's on our side mm-hmm. like yeah, that, you know, yeah, this reading is, those uh, reading those text messages in the indictment alone kind of uh mm-hmm. uh makes it very obvious to me at least that the culture is open enough where language like that is being used readily which would make me question the entire uh, system that right. we have in right. place. Also, if, if the system that we have works, then four officers who jump an undercover officer, who's another officer, this is all an internal right. matter. Yeah. Why does this need to go to the U.S. attorney and the federal government for adjudication? Hmm. Shouldn't the internal mechanisms of the police department lead to an investigation and firing of these officers? That's what we do, then we... We move on, you know. Yeah, it has we, to go to the know. federal level. But we can't trust them to investigate themselves. Right. Right, which is the unstated, I think, issue here that's not still not being changed by this indictment. Mm-hmm. And is this something that we will be able to uh, – is this something that the leadership's willing to change? Is it going to step up? I don't know do because that? our current mayor was in the command center during the duration of this incident. Yeah. So, yeah, basically gives uh, tacit com- complicity to, to what was going on. And, I mean, ultimately, that, that the fact that there are young officers and old officers indicted for this goes to show that this is a systemic thing. It doesn't matter if you're new or you're old, that you can get wrapped up in the the heat of the moment when it comes to to putting down a protest. Right, and actually the, you want to hear the real irony is if you know the man that was beaten, Luther Hall, mm-hmm. uh, he was actually charged with uh, beating a cuffed man back in, I believe, 2011. Wow. And the city paid out over $800,000. So he himself had beaten someone that got him in trouble. See, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just again. I know, tell Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my, head, my, my head hurts quite a bit because yeah. it's like I have such sympathy. Oh, God. Well, and I yeah. would say also none of these officers were on duty as commander that night. So, wow. you know, none of these people are the people who gave commands to kettle protesters to arrest Mike Falk and other journalists. Like, mm-hmm. And then none of these people well, then are in the position of the chief who still hasn't given an account for why this kettling occurred, Right, and why should. other people were arrested. And it's not just Luther Hall. It's terrible what happened to Luther Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, this, but this it, comes he to, wasn't yeah. the only one who had this, this kind of force used this against him. This was operationally uh, leading to this situation. If anybody had studied up on the kettling and how the... Uh, these type of tactics have worked they in other cities. It. They end in lawsuits almost every single every time. time, and they bring in the Justice Department. If we look up in Chicago, what happened back in '03, mm-hmm. the city of Chicago had to pay out $12 million right. after an Iraq war protest right. in which they kettled, detained, and uh, um, uh, beat mm-hmm. uh, a number of the citizens. And so when we're trying to protect our, you know, the the per- personal property from a few windows and potted plants, what mm-hmm. happens instead? It's actually costing us, the taxpayers, money 
because of these actions that Twice. are being done that are yeah and you pay the police officers to be out there right. and then they get sued and then right. you have to pay again right. and, and this is all done in the name of protecting uh, uh our society when in fact you know from perhaps a few windows being broken maybe mm. right or, maybe. well there was a like you know a couple on olive in washington that were shattered i mean the, the, under normal circumstances, anybody, that would even make the news. But has anybody, <laughs> right. you know, seen what's been going on in Paris the last few weeks? And yeah, oh yeah, they're not cattling people. You know, yeah. if anything, they're tolerating. They're letting cars be set on fire. They, they, some, they, they play a little rough sometimes. They play rough. Let's not. Let's not. Let's not um, the, the French police can. Um, yeah, they can. Right, be. but French politicians are are generally more supportive of protest as a constitutional they right. Are, they are. They and are. here we act like. How dare people take to the streets? That mm. is very true in terms mm. of the general sort of. Uh, oh my God! It's threatening, you know, the, the order of, of, a, of a downtown that, frankly, is pretty dead at nine o'clock at night. <laughs> so it's like we're lucky yeah. to have thousands of people downtown protesting because they're the only people downtown who don't <laughs> right. live there. And now this is, and now this is going to cost our city. And I don't know where this yeah. money is supposed to come from now. All of a sudden, no, and, right. and this is, is this going to be we're a general practice? Are we going right. to stop this practice? Or have we dedicated saying, that we're not going to do this? No, this hasn't happened. And we have continued uh, to. Yeah, a, I don't understand how sort any, of any, yeah. be quiet about any those administration that would call itself fiscally prudent and fiscally conservative could could support and defend policing tactics that expose the city to multi million dollar lawsuit oh, yeah. settlements or. You know, millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to adjudicate this in the federal courts. Like these officers, right? All the legal fees these going charges, on and the city has to represent them. It's like if you're a real fiscal hawk, don't you? Wouldn't you back the what's already been proven to be constitutionally correct, which is to to not support this kind of policing? If your department does it to fire the officers and commanders who support this kind of thing, put in place people who were against it, mm. who are going to adhere to constitutionally supported court to supported precedents for handling protests. So I, I don't, you know, the mayor hasn't said a whole lot about this. Right. Um, it's not been I'm strong. On I'm it. wondering if there's going to be more to come from her office on this. I, yeah, I don't. Just, it just makes me think. With a lot of the personnel changes that has happened, is, is yeah. this? Are, have we made changes to go more towards this direction? There's been people in the office that I would thinking there's going to be more action and more uh, visible. It maybe there is, but I'll tell you what. It sure as hell is not obvious to the persons like. Well, I just myself. wonder when when, yeah. when you have like what happened on the night where the police owned the night, according mm, to the chief, the while night. the mayor was standing by. It's like, you know, and now the chief is saying. It's just these four people when we know False. that whole night it was a whole strategy that was approved by the then right. chief of police, acting chief of police, O'Toole, Lawrence O'Toole, mm -hmm. and with the mayor's consent. Um, you know, what are they really protecting here? Because property rights. Yeah. Property rights. But then within the, within the department, oh. why are they scapegoating these four people and not? Doing a more systemic investigation because this is the perfect opportunity to it's do like so. It's like either they either they actually support what happened, or they're afraid of really rooting out and cleaning the department and up and reforming. That's the thing it. is like if they and pull why, one string, then? the whole thing starts to unravel. And I think that's 
that's just sort of a microcosm of uh, the American system is like if we start to admit to some of the atrocities that America's committed, then you have to start admitting to everything. So like if you start to admit admitting to some of the things that SL Metro PD has done that have been terrible, then you start to have to admit to all the the terrible things that they've done. And then then we talk about, you know, under the uh, under the mayor's eye and and how that unravels into, you know, the mayor's office having condoned and been complicit in these things and then, you know, the board of aldermen being connected to that and the, the you know, on down the line. So, I think ultimately this is that's damage control to not take a stance is like if I don't take a stance, then I don't have to reveal the truth about everything. But if I reveal the truth about one thing, then I probably have to reveal the truth about most things. Right. And I know the counter narrative is that, well, we have to have public safety. We have to have support our police. But mm-hmm. this is a police department that suggests there's a really deeply inculcated hostility to the people that are supposed to be protected by it. Mm-hmm. And that's coming out here. Um, a lot of these actions uh, during the Stockley protests were directed against, not against people who were caught breaking windows, but just people who were expressing their freedom or mm-hmm. people like Officer Hall who were, uh, were undercover, um, the post-dispatch reporter who was just covering this event, the yep. photographer, um, or the man who was trying to get home to his loft who happened to walk through the middle of it yeah, who was cattled. Like, the Air Force uh, officer. Yeah, that was wild. And this just makes you think, what else is, you know, what is going through the minds of some of these people when they're out on just regular patrol? And, like, mm. if the idea is they're trying to protect us and we need a police, can we have a police department that actually wants to protect and serve everybody? Not the, the privilege, not the white, not the elite, mm, but everybody. Certain neighborhoods, yeah. I know personally that I've sat down with some police officers on Metro PD. Never actually thought I would do this, but um, uh, Slaco and MCU, uh, St. Louis Agency for Coalitions and Coalitions and Organizations, and then I forget MCU's like Missionary Congregations United. Yeah. yeah. But basically, they had this uh, program called recognizing our humanity and it was a pilot program where they had uh st louis metro police and people from the west end sit down and talk to each other in plain clothes the police weren't supposed to come in their uniform and and, uh obviously the the people were coming in their plain clothes i was invited because i'm an activist and and they knew that i had some pretty strong positions around policing but i i learned a lot more about uh, I guess the sympathetic nature of people in the police department and how that is so discouraged. Well, not even not even just discouraged, like completely prohibited. So, like if if a police officer, even off duty, were to join a protest, they would be immediately fired. Like it's literally illegal for them to protest. And then you have people that are like, well, in my battalion, we don't we don't. Uh, harass protesters and things like that, but there are people in the upper ranks of the department them that are ordering this thing. And so when I'm out and I am able to 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 be the the officer in place, then I make sure all the protesters are okay. But I can't always do that. Mm-hmm. And there's there's hot heads in the department that want to go out there and and bust heads. And so they're getting these directives from higher ups that have been in there for since the 70s or 80s and kind of have an old school approach to it. 
versus there are people in the department that want to change things, but they have no support. Right. And they would actually like support from the people, but the, I don't think they know who, what people they need to connect with to, to make right. that happen. And this kind of a signal with this indictment isn't completely clear. It's not a, it, it, you know, it's a targeting of certain individuals and a con- condemnation of their behavior, mm-hmm. but it's not a targeting of, a system the uh, people who are doing and, uh, and pointing to good examples mm-hmm. like where you know there there are a lot of officers out there Perry Johnson who want to do the right Perry thing yeah. I think I know some no I do too um, it's, it's unfortunate but I've had encounters with police officers in my neighborhood and they're they're very courteous to us and mm-hmm. as residents uh, white black poor rich you know it's like mm-hmm. they're they're but this 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 kind of like let's just pick a target of some bad behavior and say this substitute the part for the whole it does not constitute a real reform right. or an elevation of that new mentality and maybe i don't know maybe it speaks to captain or uh, major hayden mm-hmm. coming from an older generation his mm-hmm. my thinking might not be as fully evolved uh the mayors might not be fully involved jimmy edwards it's like you know they're all they've all been around yeah. for a while maybe yeah. what we're seeing is this is the kind of response that makes a lot of sense to people who have been inside of this arena for a long time mm-hmm. um and some of us who are younger don't can't see this as viable or acceptable <laughs> yeah. well where do we see this going from here uh the current indictments and then uh i guess this is going to go down do we, where is there a path that we could see that where this would actually cause a uh, true culture change where we won't see lawsuits like this come up in the future uh, would the DOJ potentially step in uh, with the current climate? Well, I don't know uh, if Matthew Whitaker's DOJ is going to do a whole lot yeah. for the situation. That's what I mean. Like, it, could we see that? Because we've seen that in the past but in I think these other it, cities. I mean, I think Seattle's was under the DOJ after the Well, I, uh, I could riots. see if, if the White House switches while yeah. this is still in court, which it probably will drag out for a while. Mm-hmm. These officers aren't probably likely to all just plead guilty you know yeah to federal offenses <laughs> i think this is sort of i don't know i'm starting to see a trend of officers being held accountable across right. the country so maybe we this just is saw part this in of chicago trend. i think that yeah. sends Oof, a huge a big one yeah sends a huge huge signal that maybe we can we can get the courts to yeah. finally meet out some justice and if this if they were to be convicted in on these charges yeah. in federal court, that, that would, would be a huge signal. Huge signal. Yeah. So we can't underestimate that. Yeah. Whether or not that changes the police department is a, is a separate issue, yeah. I think. Right, and I, I, will but that, maybe it does. Could send that a happen? To where, where would that could, happen? I where would, where could the changes to the police department and the policing and the system? The it has to change in training. I mean, that's where we keep. No, but where can the external forces? Where can those yeah. be placed that can make those changes happen? Would that be coming from the executive? From the uh, from uh, the board of aldermen. Well, I mean, the, the city, uh, the police department police. is un- is under the mayor. The I, I think that's where it yep. starts. That's where it ends. Ultimately. I think we have to hold the mayor accountable for the police department. That's what we got when we got yeah, dissolution the of, is not the, the dissolution of state control. Means the, bu- mm-hmm. the buck stops with the mayor. Yeah. So Lyda Cruson, I think, ought to be prepared to face a lot of uh, scrutiny during this process about what her vision for the police department really is and be prepared to defend that at the ballot box the next well, time around. She, she's been getting That's beaten real. up by the police department, as I'm sure we've noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the poli- the it's funny because the police don't say very kind. The union has not been very kind to her. Yeah. They've been very hostile to her. Extremely hostile. But she's been very friendly to them. Yeah. Yeah. She has nothing to lose by pushing for some reform. All right. Yeah. Maybe well, some progressive votes to gain. 
All right. Well, and those have been very interesting. Any who would want those? <laughs> uh, okay. Any final comments before we go out here for our uh, final year-end look at the... I will say, I think I saw eggnog being delivered to some tables tonight here at the Royale <laughs> Food and Spirits. Is eggnog now available? Yes, it is. And it's for available. how much longer? Until, uh, until it runs out. But we, have, or? We, have a, we have a couple special batches if we run out early that we'll be doing closer to the night of the holiday. But I will say, this is uh, good stuff. In fact, I'm making up my own secret batch tonight. Ooh. Wow. I'll I just say a shout out to our listeners, viewers, if you're watching yeah, live. Shout out to anybody watching. Uh, send listening. in to. Um, how do we? How do you contact this show? Just leave a comment, I guess. Yeah, just come down to the bar, what, put on a But also, like, what do you want us to be talking about? <laughs> we're, we're talking a lot about the border wall and race. Do you want us to talk about the presidential election? Do you want us to talk about progressive strategies, urban development, zoning, whatever? For next podcast. All right. Well, we hope to get back on a regular track. Here. I'm sure you guys can uh, let us know. We'll try to, yeah, try to get this yeah. on the regular tip. Make sure you vote. Right. And yeah. shout out to Darian with his thank new you. venture thank happening you, down you. at uh, Jefferson and uh, Potomac, Potomac, the yeah. old Treff Punk. No, Seem to have a new name, a church yeah. venue. Yeah. Uh, What's your position? Yeah. What, what's my position? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I'll be the event coordinator, technically. Um, basically, I'm, uh, I'm using the space. But Jason still owns the building, so I'm leasing it from him. It, yeah. yeah, so I'm leasing it from him and then running it as a venue. Are you still at KHX? Nope. Okay, well, good luck. Right. Yeah. Another another big venue near Cherokee. Yeah. Should get us hopping. We'll all be there, I'm sure, yeah. sooner or later. Yeah, you'll be there eventually. I'll get you there somehow or good. another. Make the city pulse at night. Yeah. Shake things up. Yeah. Until next time. All right, thank you guys. See you.